You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Today, we are in week three of a series that we've been in called What's Good? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, What's Good? What's Good? What's Good, brother? What's Good, sister? And the subtitle of this series is Required Living to Change and Heal a Broken World. You know, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like our world is more broken than ever before. You put on the news sometimes, and it just seems depressing. But here's the idea. Our world may seem more broken than ever before, but there's never been more opportunity for God's people to do good. That's what this series is about. Come on, when the world gets darker, it's time for the church to shine even brighter. And so the question is, where do we start? Because sometimes the problems of the world seem so big. And I don't know about you, but I feel so small. Like, where do I even start to make a difference in the world? And that's what our key scripture actually speaks to. We have a a scripture we've been looking at each week that speaks to this very question. And it comes from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Let's look at it again. Here's what it says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. There's our phrase, what's good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy. And would you read this phrase out loud with me? And to walk humbly with your God. So we've talked about in week one what it means to act justly. Last week we talked about what it means to love mercy. This week I want to talk to you about what it means to walk humbly with your God. Now, uh, my wife Amy was up here a minute ago leading worship. Uh, Amy is about 5'3". I'm six foot. There's a little bit of a height difference between the two of us. So naturally when we walk places, like I walk a lot faster than Amy. I got longer legs. I tend to walk faster. Like when we're in the airport, places like that, like I turn around and Amy's like way behind me. I'm like, come on, would you catch up? Like naturally I just breeze past her. But, you know, when we're walking in a park together or on a date or something like that, hand in hand, I, I adjust my stride, right? I cut my stride down a little bit so we can walk together because the whole point is for us to keep in step together. Here's the idea, church. I want you to get this, okay? Walking in humility is how we keep in step with God. Come on, if you want to walk with God, how many would say, I want to have a closer walk with God? I want to be closer to him. If you want to do that, you have to learn to embrace a life of humility because humility is how we actually keep in step with God. Now, the biblical idea here that we see in the text, in our key verse, is to walk wisely, to walk carefully, yielded to God's will in such a way that you don't stray from his path, that you keep in step with him. How many of you know that it's not getting any easier right now in the world that we're living in to do that right now? Anybody notice this? That like it seems like, you know, our, our culture's values are just further and further away than, from, from biblical values. Like it's not getting any easier right now to be a Christian. Sometimes biblical values seem so far out of sync with our culture's values. For example, we open the Bible and the Bible talks about sexual integrity. That sexuality is a sacred gift. It's something that takes place within the bonds of marriage. But our culture says do whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want. We're out of sync with with the culture. Uh, We open up the Bible, and Scripture says that it's good to be generous, that that God's people are blessed to be a blessing, that generosity is a good thing. Our culture teaches the more stuff you have, the happier you're going to be. You open up the Scriptures, and it it teaches us to, to forgive, right, to forgive as Christ forgave you. What does our culture say? Our culture says prove your point, show somebody how you're right, and then cancel them. Come on, I'm right, you're wrong, you're canceled. That's what our culture says. 
Sometimes it seems like we're, we're really getting further apart from, from, from culture when it comes to our biblical values. So how do we respond? Well, some Christians would say we gotta, we got to fight back. we got to shout louder. we got to wage a, a culture war. But that message doesn't come across as very Christ-like, very loving. Come on, we all have that one Christian friend who comes across as really judgmental on Facebook. Come on, how many of you have that one friend where you're like, please don't post that and tell people you're a Christian. Like, really? That's embarrassing. Just stop. So there are those Christians who want to kind of, you know, shout back, hit, hit them back harder. Let's wage a culture war. It's all truth. Let's ram it down their throat. My Bible says. And then there are the other Christians who are like, hey, let's just go with the flow. Let's not make any waves. Come on, it's all love, man. It's all love. Like, why don't we just all just hold hands and sing kumbaya and just love each other, you know? And truth just kind of just fades away. And we're like, what are we even standing for anymore? So here's the question. Like, is it possible to stand for truth and love well? Come on, is it possible to hold on to biblical truth, to hold on to what the church has believed for 2,000 years, the truths that we see in Scripture, the truths that we see revealed in Christ, and yet be loving, and yet be gracious, and yet be people who are winsome, who can, who can relate to the world in a loving way? Well, I believe it is, and I believe Jesus shows us the way. I want to show you a Scripture. John chapter 1, verse 14, this is from the Gospel of John, his famous prologue, his introduction to his gospel, and this is what he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, literally from the Greek, the logos, the unifying principle, the, the principle that held the universe together, Jesus, who is with God the Father, eternally existed, part of the Trinity, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of, say it with me, grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. How many of you know nobody changed the world like Jesus? It doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus today. If you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, we keep time by Jesus. We're living in the year 2021, right? In the year of our Lord, 2021, because Jesus changed the world. How did he do it? He came full of grace and truth. And so the key to walking humbly in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of a world where truth is, is relative and where nobody gives each other grace in a cancel culture, the, the key to living humbly, walking humbly with God and bringing healing to a broken world is to live like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Now, what does that look like? That's the question. How do we live that out? What does that look like? Well, I want to show you a story today where Jesus puts this into action. I want to give you four keys to walking humbly, full of grace and truth. There's a great opportunity to take some notes, get out the Redemption app. There's a spot there where you can take notes every week. Four keys to walking humbly, walking humbly with your God, a life full of grace and truth. And this, this scripture I'm going to show you today is a famous scripture. It comes from the Gospel of John chapter 8. It's the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. Let me, let's just get right into it. John chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. They shamed this woman caught in the act of adultery before the crowd of people there. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Like, can you imagine, like, eyewitnesses who, like, shamed this woman caught in this act. Verse 5, in the law, in the Old Testament, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And look at verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
So here are the Pharisees, the religious leaders who have a problem with Jesus. He's teaching things that no one has ever heard before. He's pointing people to himself, showing people that he's the way to the Father. And they have a problem with Jesus. And they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus to try to, to set him up. Here's point number one. Are you ready? We're talking about some keys to living humbly. Point number one, recognize that challenges are often opportunities to be humble. Come on, somebody came to church today to write that down and put that in your notes today. That point is for you. Recognize that challenges are often opportunities to, to be humble. Look at this. Notice that John tells us in verse 6 that this was a trap to discredit Jesus. See, according to the Old Testament law, this woman could actually be put to death for her sin. I know that's really hard for us to understand as modern day people, but you can go back and read about this in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I live in the New Testament, the, the covenant of grace and mercy. Come on, somebody. But in the Old Testament, yeah, you can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 22, Leviticus chapter 20, like adultery was punishable by death. But here's the question. Where was the man involved? Come on, ladies, right? Where was the man? Some of y'all are like, yeah. Where was the man involved in this situation? It takes two to tango. He was allowed to, to go free. So this was a setup. The Pharisees had staged this whole situation to shame this woman and to try to trap Jesus. Now, what was the trap? Well, the Romans didn't allow Jews to carry out the death sentence, okay? The Jewish people at this time, they were subjects of the Roman Empire. So Rome withheld the power of capital punishment. But the Old Testament law called for the death penalty, right? So Jesus was either going to be in conflict with the Romans or in conflict with the Old Testament law. If he said the woman should be put to death, he was in conflict with the Romans because he went beyond his authority. If he said that she should be let go, he would be in, in conflict with the Old Testament law. This seemed like the perfect trap to trick Jesus. But how many of you know you don't try to trick Jesus? Jesus will out-trick you. He's a tricky Jesus. Come on. He's a tricky Jesus. Every time the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus, he tricked them back. He's a tricky Jesus. So Jesus recognizes their trap. He sees it as a trap. And so he turns this challenge into an opportunity to do good, to show humility. You know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't do what you and I would be tempted to do. Jesus didn't complain or give up or, or throw in the towel or go off on everybody. If it was me, I'd be like, I'm so tired of you haters hating on me all the time. I'm out here preaching in the temple course. Didn't nobody invite you to come out here and mess up my sermon that I'm giving this morning, dragging some woman in here I don't even know coming at me? Why don't y'all just all get out of my face? I quit. I give up. Lord, I'm tired of these people. Come on, anybody with me today? I know I may have had a little more caffeine than you this morning, but I can relate to this story because I get tired of people criticizing and complaining, but Jesus doesn't do that. Come on, how many of you know that opportunities to be humble often come packaged as challenges? Let me say that to you again. Opportunities to be humble often come packaged as challenges. We see them as challenges, but the Lord wants to help us see their opportunities to actually become humble. Come on, the opportunities look like this. Someone attacks you on social media. Lord, give us grace while we're on social media. Jesus, help us. A coworker or a manager criticizes you. Somebody says something about you that's not true. And when you begin to defend yourself, it only makes you look even more guilty. Come on, challenges. These are the challenges of real life, of dealing with human beings. When I get 
criticized or attacked, my initial response is to be defensive just like you. I know you think I'm a pastor and I float on air and I glow in the dark, but I'm in the process of sanctification just like you. And when people criticize me, it happens every now and then. You know, I, I want to get defensive, but the Holy Spirit usually helps me calm down and recognize it's always an opportunity to be humble. Sometimes it's even an opportunity to find the truth in that person's criticism. Now, sometimes the criticism isn't worth it at all. They have nothing to say. But it's just an opportunity to be gracious, to respond graciously. It's an opportunity to, be, to respond humbly. So when you face a challenge, church, don't take the bait. Come on, don't take the bait. Don't give in. Don't sink to that person's level. Just remember that the, an opportunity, when you're challenged, it's often an opportunity to be humble. The Holy Spirit wants to show you. It's not just a challenge. It's an opportunity to be humble. By the way, how do you think you actually develop humility? Anybody with me this morning? How do you think you actually become a humble person? The Lord gives you opportunities to become humble. So be careful because you prayed that prayer, Lord, help me to become more like Jesus. Help me to become more humble. Guess what? He's going to answer that prayer by giving you opportunities to develop humility, to develop your humility muscles, okay? So that's the first point. Number one, recognize that that challenges are often opportunities to be humble. Now, let's continue our story. So here are the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. They shame this woman in front of all these people. They challenge Jesus. They put Jesus on the spot, trying to trap Jesus. Let's look at what happens, verses 7 through 9. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Four keys to walking humbly. Here's point number two. Confront your inner Pharisee. Yes, you heard that right. Write that down today. Doesn't sound nice, but we need to hear that. Point number two, confront your inner Pharisee. Come on, don't you just love Jesus? Like his response is brilliant. Look at this, verse seven. Let any of you who is out without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then Jesus, like, mic drop, boom, just walks off. And one by one, they leave. And Jesus just stoops down and just writes in the, I'm just writing in the sand over here where y'all trying to figure out how to respond because y'all don't even know what to say. I'm drawing pictures of you, cartoons. We don't even know what he was doing. But we know one by one, the religious leaders walked away. See, Jesus flips the table on the Pharisees, and he helps them to see that they really weren't as different from this woman as they thought they were. They, they really weren't as different as, as, as her as they thought they were. He exposes their religious hypocrisy and their pride to everybody present. Come on, let me ask you this question today. You ever have something happen to you that reveals that you have double standards? <laughs> Doesn't this happen to us every now and then? We get embarrassed because as human beings, we have double standards. You know what a double standard is, right? I expect something of you, but I have a different standard for me or for this group of people, okay? Guess what, church? I hate to tell you today, but we all have a little bit of an inner Pharisee. Now, this, is, this has happened to me. It's happened to all of us. I remember my oldest son, Aaron, who's going to be 15 this summer. I remember when he was just a little kid. One time, I distinctly remember this, and he said something about something was stupid, like when he was real little. And I was like, hey, son, we don't talk like that in this house, right? You know, the kind of things parents say, we don't talk like that in this house. Can you just hear your father's voice right now? Okay. A couple days later, I'm watching the news, and something came on the news that I didn't like, and I'm like, that's so stupid. Aaron walks in, he goes, hey, Dad, we don't talk like that in this house. 
Come on, parents. How many of you know the kids will preach it right back to you? All the parents are like, oh, yeah, that's happened, right? Like, do as I say, not as I do, son, right? Totally exposed for my, my double standard. See, our, our inner Pharisee shows up in our tendency toward double standards. Here's what it looks like. When I mess up, I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt because I didn't mean it that way because I'm a good person. But when you mess up, you deserve to be punished because you're a really bad person. That's what we do. Oh, don't step on my toes this morning. That's a double standard, right? Our inner Pharisee shows up with that sense of being self-righteous. Well, at least I'm not like that person. I would never do that. Did you hear what she did? I'm not gossiping. I'm just telling you so we can get together and pray for her. That's all. I just want to pray for that. But thank, I'm, thank God I'm not like that. I have problems. Subconsciously, sometimes we don't even say these things, but subconsciously we think these things. Thank God I'm not like that. I know I'm not perfect, but at least I've never done, done that. Let me ask you a question. If we're saved by grace, how many of you know, how many of you believe that we're saved by grace? The scripture says it's by grace you've been saved, right? Not by any of your works, but, but through grace, uh, by faith, not, not by our works, so we have nothing to boast about. If we're saved by grace, then why is it so easy for us to feel more, morally superior to other people? Think about that. We say that we believe in grace. We sing the songs about grace. We amen the sermons about grace. We say we believe. I know my good works don't save me, but man, it's so easy for us to feel morally superior to other people. And you know why it is? I'm going to help you. It's because subconsciously we all think we have a little bank account in heaven, and when we have a good day and we do really good deeds like serving on serve day, we think we make a little deposit in our little spiritual bank account. And we think on our bad days when we lose it in traffic and we say words that nice little Christians shouldn't say. I know none of y'all do those kind of things. Y'all are more sanctified than me. We think we lose a little credit in heaven. And we don't realize it, but that is the drift of humanity toward religiosity to believe that we have a little spiritual bank account in, in heaven. Let me just help you today, okay? The gospel is not Jesus came to set an example example for you so you can strive to be a really good person. The gospel is Jesus came to do for you what you could never do for yourself. That's what saves you. And so if you're going to walk humbly with God, you have to confront your inner Pharisee. Come on. You got to confront your inner Pharisee. And here's the wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit will give you opportunities to do it. He will, there will be little times where he shows you Little moments like Aaron had with me that day where he confronts you and he shows you your double standards. He shows you your little, you know, religious spirit. He will give you opportunities. And when it happens, can I just help you today? Don't fight back. Don't make excuses. Just cooperate with the Holy Spirit and let him do an inner pharisectomy. Come on, he will do a pharisectomy. He will go inside of you and surgically remove the little Pharisee from your heart and you'll be better. Yes, I did make up that term if you're wondering. It's, yeah. He will remove the little Pharisee from your heart, and you'll be better for it. Come on, are we having fun today in church? We're having fun. Church online, we have air conditioning in here today, too. We have caffeine. We have air conditioning in here. We're happy. You need to come to 11 o'clock service. I'm just saying. All right, here's the rest of the story. Let's keep going. The rest of the story, <laughs> verses 10 and 11. Jesus drops the mic, right? Like he says, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. One by one, they leave. Jesus straightened up and asked the, her, the woman. He said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. We're talking about some keys to walking humbly. Here's point number three, key number three, lead with grace. Come on, somebody say grace. Lead with grace. This is what Jesus does. He, he led with grace. Come on, if you want to walk humbly like Jesus, you, you got to lead with grace. If you're going to put anything out there, 
first. If you're going to react in any way, first, lead with, with grace. It's grace, not condemnation, that leads people to truth. You see, the, the Pharisees were technically right. If you opened up the scripture, they were, they were technically right. According to the Old Testament law, this woman was actually deserving of, of death. But how many of you know that you can be, be right, but if you come across as ungracious, you lose people? How many of you know that's true? You can be right and lose the relationship. You can be right and lose your influence. You can be right and lose your testimony. You can be right, and if you come across as ungracious, you, you lose people. How many of you have ever encountered these people like in the subway or on the streets who are like yelling at people, preaching at people, sometimes with a bullhorn on the street, like with signs like turn or burn? Anybody ever experienced that? How many of you, like have you ever met anybody who was one to Jesus that way? I have never met someone. I'm like, well, tell me how you became a Christian. Well, one day I was getting on the subway and somebody shouted at me and said, you're going to hell unless you repent. And I thought, I want to be just like those people. No, that has never happened to me. That has never happened to me before. I don't know about you, but I want people to give me grace when I mess up. I want people to give me grace. See, I'm a grace preacher. If you've been around this church for years, I'm a grace preacher because here's the truth. I'm going to let you all in on a little secret today. I'm a human being just like you. And if you stick around at some point in time, you might see me on a bad day. It could happen, you know? And I need you to give me grace. I'm going to remind you, I've been preaching grace to you for years. Now you got to give me grace, okay? If you caught me and I had a bad mood or I messed up one day, don't leave the church. Give me grace. I preached grace to you for years. Can you give it to me like for one Sunday? All right? Thank you. So we want to lead. We want to lead with grace. I want people to give me grace. Now, I want truth as well. I'm mature enough to know I want people to give me truth. But here's the thing I've discovered. I find truth a lot easier to swallow when people lead with grace. I find truth a lot easier. Go ahead and rebuke me. Set me straight. Help me understand what I'm, where, I'm, where I'm messed up. Come on. I'm married. I'm used to being rebuked and set straight. I can take orders. But, but lead with grace first because grace is what opens my heart to be able to receive truth. So lead with grace. Now, notice what Jesus said to her. He said, I don't condemn you. Does anyone condemn you? I don't condemn you. Look at verse 11. But look at what he said. Go now and leave your life of sin. The famous King James translation, go and sin no more. Right? Here's point number four. Lead with grace, but point people to truth. Lead with grace, but point people to truth. That's what Jesus did. Jesus extended grace to this woman. He, he didn't condemn her. He said, does anybody condemn you? No, Lord. Like, everybody's left. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus accepted her as she is, as she was, but he didn't leave her where she was. Come on, how many of you know that God loves you as you are? I say it all the time. He loves you as you are. He accepts you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are in your sin and your brokenness. He wants you to become more of the person that he, he called you to be. So Jesus didn't leave her in this condition. He pointed her toward truth. Jesus led with grace, but he never compromised truth. Never compromised truth. He led with grace, but then he pointed the woman in the right direction, the direction of truth. Come on, let me just tell you, we are living in the midst of, of a broken world in a culture where people don't have a sense of, of direction. I'm telling you, 
People are lost, man. People are trying to figure this out. We're living in a, in a, in a generation where people's values are being shaped by Hollywood and social media. And it's just brokenness in every direction. And people are just dying for someone to say, follow me. I'll point you in the right direction. I don't have all the answers, but I'll point you to Jesus. I'm in that direction too. I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress just like you. But you can come with me. You can follow me because I'm pointing you in the direction of Jesus. You can come with me. Our culture is dying for that. People are dying for somebody to have a, a firm conviction that I, I don't, I'm not trying to act like I'm perfect or I have all the answers, but I know the one who does. And I can point you in the right direction toward Jesus. Come on, lead with grace, but point people toward truth. He is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You can never go wrong if you point people toward Jesus. You can never go wrong if you point people toward him. Now, we don't know what happened with this woman. You know, so many times in Scripture we get a, we see a little snapshot of the story, but we don't see the rest of how it plays out. But we can use our Holy Spirit-inspired imagination today to imagine what her life would be like. Can you imagine what this woman's life would be like after having an encounter with Jesus like that? She could never be the same, having met Jesus, having experienced his grace and his truth. I would imagine her life was different from that point on. But could, could you imagine that woman meeting another woman caught in her sin Another woman caught maybe in the very same act of adultery as her. Can you imagine this woman judging that woman? Can you imagine this, this woman like looking down on someone like that? No, right? Like you'd say, no, that, that'd be so messed up if she did. Why? Because she encountered Jesus. She encountered this life-changing grace of Jesus. Come on, grace hits home when you recognize what you should have received but that you got mercy instead. It changes your life. It changes your life. And so the key to humility is gratitude. Listen to me, church. I say this all the time. It's really gratitude that's at the center of worship. It's really gratitude that, that's at the center of the Christian life. It's a response to all that God has done for us. It's not a striving. It's not obligation. It's gratitude. God, you did that for me. God, I know what I deserve. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I get to give my life back to you, God get to give my life back to you. And so the key to humility is gratitude. And it's not I'm grateful for something, but I'm grateful to someone. I'm grateful to someone, someone who came to me full of grace and truth, who met me where I was, who accepted me and loved me as I am, but he didn't leave me as I am. He came to transform me, to make me more of a son, more of a daughter, more the person, the child of God that God is calling me to be. British, the British pastor, Nicky Gumbel, says this, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. Maybe you want to snap a picture of that. It's a really good quote. Isn't that true? Truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. We've got to lead with love. But at the same time, truth becomes softened and weak and compromised if it's not strengthened by truth. Church, if we compromise our truth, then we'll be as lost as the culture around us. If we give up our, our convictions, our biblical convictions based in Scripture, based in the life of Jesus, we will lose our moral compass that, that guides us. We'll lose our prophetic voice to speak to the brokenness, the sin, and the injustice of, of this world. But at the same time, if we compromise on grace, then we've lost the very power that gave us something to say in the first place. The only reason we have something to say is because of the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. So we have to hold on to both. What does God require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly in step 
with God, just like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Jesus, I'm keeping in step with you. I'm following your example. I'm treating people the way you treated people. I'm relating to broken people in this broken world the way you did, the way you related to this broken person, me, because you met me in my sins, and I want to be just like you. I want to live full of grace and truth. Come on, church. That's, that's our prayer. That's our prayer. Because you know what our world doesn't need? Our world doesn't need one more self-righteous person. Our world doesn't need one more person attacking everybody else. Our world doesn't need one more person walking around canceling everybody else out, shaming everybody else, trying to prove how we're right about everything. You know what our world needs? Our world needs a few more people who have been transformed by the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ who can go out and heal a broken world. That's what our world needs. That's what our world needs. So would you stand with me this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray into this. And I recognize today we have people here from all different backgrounds. Maybe you're watching online and somebody shared this broadcast with you and it's your first time in church in a long time. Here's what I want you to know. This is what Christians believe. We may fall short of this, but this is what we're called to live to. Please don't give up on, on Christianity because some Christian fell short. The truth is we all fall short of the example of Jesus, but I want you to know this is the gold standard. This is the standard that Jesus set for us. And I just believe the world's a better place when Christians live like this. We walk humbly with our God. We walk humbly with our God. Come on, let's be known as a humble church. Let's be known as a humble a people, a people who are works in progress. We haven't arrived. We're being saved by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Do you want that today? Would you just pray with me? Maybe you want to lift your hands as a sign of saying, Lord, I want that today. Come on, Lord, today we're asking you today for the gift of humility. We're asking you to make us more like Jesus, to help us to embrace this humble walk with our good God. Lord, thank you today for reminding us that we're no different than that woman. Jesus, every one of us, when we met you, we were caught in our sin. But you came to us and you met us full of grace. You led with grace. But Jesus, you pointed us in the right direction. And we're so thankful today we're so thankful. We ask you to help us to be people who live full of grace and truth. And now I know today that there are some who are here who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to know God that way. Even as you're preaching, there's something stirring in my heart, and I want to have that kind of relationship with God. And maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe this is your first time in, in, a, in a church like this. But something in your heart would say, I want to know God that way. I want to have a relationship with Jesus that way. I'm well aware of the fact that I am a sinner, that I've made mistakes, and, and, and I feel so far away from God. If that's you, we believe that is the gentle tug of the Holy Spirit. It's the gentle tug of a loving God who's drawing you to himself today through his on Jesus and today he wants to meet you with grace and lead you into truth and it simply starts with saying yes to Jesus come on if that's you today I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me just simply say Jesus I give you my yes I give you my yes I receive your grace today just pray that with me for the first time for the hundredth time Jesus I receive your grace today but I believe your truth that you are the son of God I believe that you live for me, that you died for me, that you resurrected for me. I turn from my sin and I place my faith in you and I say yes to you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you testify to their hearts that they're born again, sons, daughters of God, never the same. We give you thanks, we give you praise in Jesus' name.
Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.